And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. We are explorers. We're going to stumble, make mistakes, I'm sure more than a few before we find our footing. But we're going to learn from those mistakes. That's what being human is all about. It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness, that is life. We're Starfleet officers. Weird is part of the job. Base, the final frontier. Make it so. Do it. Hit it. Let's fly. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Aiden. And we are the Bix. And we are here today to talk about <laughs> season two of the original series. I like that we just made a new word. Ebout. Ebout. Talk ebout. Well, I'm Canadian, so we say about very funny. So uh, I'm just keeping that history up. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of history, Lindsay, let's kick it right off. Production history, season two. Yeah. What was going on behind the scenes uh, the, before we even get to the episode? So from my understanding, um, season one obviously was hugely successful. The network knew that they had a hugely successful show in their hands. However, it was costing them a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, we looked at uh, something around $180,000 an episode or something crazy like that yeah. uh, for season one. And the show was actually... Uh, it narrowly avoided cancellation after the, yeah, the first season. Yeah, the first season. Um, and this is something that I, in my mind, I thought, I know, I knew that there was um, a write-in campaign for, between season two and three, that the, yes, fans, the fans got the show in. back on the air after it was canceled after season two. But I, I think I always knew that there was something that happened between season one and two, and apparently... It wasn't fans necessarily. It was like scriptwriters in mm-hmm. Hollywood who were like, "This is one place that's actually buying our scripts, yeah. and if they cancel it, we're going to be out of a job." So let's, you know, petition. So it was a much smaller, um, maybe a little bit more behind the scenes kind of situation. Pressure, yeah, yeah. But people like Harlan Ellison, who was famously mm-hmm. not happy with Sitting the way, the forever, yeah, yeah, the way his script was adapted. <laughs> yeah. Even still, um, apparently, was one of the voices behind trying to get the show kept on. And, and it worked. I mean, they, they did renew it for a second season, but with a reduced budget. Yeah. I don't know how much they reduced it by, but it was noticeable. There was a significant change to some of the set dressings and yeah. um, not as bad as going into season three. But, you know, they, they had to make cuts where they could. Yeah. Um, but the, the network did move it to a Friday night time slot. And we've talked yes. about this before when we talked about Twin Peaks back yep. in the day. Uh, back in the day, it was six years ago. Yeah. Um, holy crap, it was six years ago. Day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, Yeah. They, they, so they moved yeah. it to one of the worst time slots imaginable. Like Friday night at 10 o'clock or something Friday ridiculous? Night at 10 like o'clock. that's a death slot. Yeah. I think that's what they call it is the death <laughs> slot. Because uh, nobody watches it. And even everybody knew that. Eugene Roddenberry was very upset about this because that's date night. That's when people go to the movies. That's when people are out dancing. They're not at home watching Star Trek. Even still, it pulled in pretty decent, decent ratings. Decent ratings, yeah, yeah. Which says something about the attraction fans, of the show. Yes, yeah. the love of the show and, and and the quality of the show and how different it was from literally every other science fiction property that was well, on TV at well, the time. Well, like any property on, on TV at the time. There was really nothing like Star Trek and yeah, it stood out for its quality sci-fi aspects and I think that was probably a big part of why even in that time slot it mm-hmm. kept some of the, the key ratings that it did was because, you know, let's face it, your, your science fiction nerds in 1969, my parents for example, <laughs> uh, they were not going out on, you know, every, every Friday night for, for day night. They you, you head to the, yeah. the did they do, were they doing laser shows at the planetarium already? <laughs> Possibly. You head yeah. down to the planetarium for the laser show, but you gotta be back by 9.30 so that you can get in front that, of the TV for, for Star Trek. Yeah. Star Trek. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it continued to do well, uh, which is really a testament to the quality of the show in this season. I think uh, it really does, in my mind at least, increase this season. Something that I'm just thinking about now, because uh, this was obviously skewing to a slightly younger demographic. Um, they yeah. were trying to capture that 18 to 34-year-old yeah. market. Demographic, yep, yeah, the boomers. Um, 
yeah, moving it to a Friday night seems to be antithetical to the other move they made to attract younger yes. audiences in, which is the introduction <laughs> of Pavel Chekhov. Yes, yes. So they, they did bring in Chekhov. Uh, when we rewatched this for the first time in a very long while mm-hmm. uh, recently, I was like, where's Chekhov in the yeah, first season? I did I not I realize. Because especially as a child, you just saw them out of order. They yeah. were in syndication. You just got an episode and some episodes had Chekhov and some didn't. And you didn't uh, even think about it. Didn't but... even piece them together that it was he was a season two edition. Um, and yeah, he was done specifically at studio request to appeal to the youths of the day. Yeah. Um, and they did it in... The well, they, their request was for you know Davy uh, Jones. Davy Jones. They wanted a Beatles haircut and a monkey on a monkey. On the bridge. Yeah, a monkey on the bridge. Uh, and they gave him that, and then Roddenberry did the twist of okay, but he's going to be Russian. Yeah, and like a very proud Russian. <laughs> yes. All of his lines in the second they really hammered it home in the second season. Now, like everything that's good in the world, he's like, oh yeah, they invented that in Russia. Yeah, you know he, yeah. you know, and he's got the the thick accents, and he's just a he's a fun loving Russian. Yeah. Um, and that was yeah, you know, again, pretty um blatant attempt to yeah uh, liberalize diversify the bridge because uh yeah obviously the height of the cold war still right we're in the middle of the space race too so yeah yeah, so to have the acknowledgement that that uh the ussr the 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 russians and the americans would be serving together on a starship yeah that's pretty cool kind of heinous for for American TV, but again, he pulled it off. And I think he was also brought in to kind of sort of replace Sulu. I believe yes, that's right. that George Takei was off filming The Green Berets. Yes, and that's the other thing. It. There's a lot of episodes where it's just one or the other. Yeah. Um, and I think there might have even been some in the second season, I can't remember now, when Sulu was back and they didn't have Chekhov for right. a couple episodes. Yeah. So they're very rarely on screen together until the third season, um, and, and, which is just and, interesting. And I also just I have to point out when it comes to Chekhov, over the course of the two seasons worth of episodes that he was in, how many different wigs did the poor man have to wear? <laughs> yeah. His hair His changed, hair changed so a lot. much. Yes. And it... it Whatever style of the, of the week was well, trending. Well, I don't even know. It went. seems like they had like a hero wig. <laughs> or maybe it was it was Walter Koenig's hair yeah, normally. Yeah. <laughs> but then they had wigs as well. Yeah. And there were like multiple levels of goodness, right? And then there were some that just looked like his scalp was blowing a bubble like it just looked yeah. really weird yeah there were some odd, um, odd so it just makes it makes me laugh when i see it i i'm so distracted i can't listen to anything that's going on i'm just like what the hell, hell is going on with sula's hair and i mean not it, sula's hair Chekhov's hair Chekhov's hair and they, they did add he's also you know he was given a few love interest storylines oh, yes. and stuff like that as well oh, yeah, so because he was the young was the whippersnapper young, yeah. he was the teeny bopper yeah um but he was not as we will talk about right away um, the sex symbol of Star Trek, no. which, which we'll get to later on. Um, we, we talked about it in our last episode. Yeah, I know, but we're going to really get into it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so the one last note I've got, and we again we mentioned this last episode, so nothing new here. But um, the seasons were absolutely grueling. Um, you know, yeah, people wind up in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Shatner shows up. You can see it literally in uh, the progression of the season. Uh, he shows up early in the season. He's looking pretty cut, nice, nice physique. You know, he's working out in the in the summer, and then. And by the last episode, man is pudgy. It's shown in his cheeks and his jowls it, it everywhere. Just, He's just the stress of making the show was was, was definitely terrible. showing. Like everybody's right? health suffered terribly yeah. for this. And uh, Shanner takes a lot of the brunt of it because he was the main character. Yeah. He was the, he was the front and center. He was making like what five times what everybody else was making and, or and something. Had five times the lines. Like totally. Honestly, like there was. Um, but he was yeah. he was kind of the 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 front man and and ever and. I don't know. Shatner has a little bit of vanity going on there too, so there's <laughs> some think. there's some uh, some room there for that as well. But it wasn't just Shatner. I mean, everybody was suffering through this, and I, and I don't think it helped that having the budget cut, but then also um, producing the same amount of episodes yeah. on an insane production schedule. Like they were squeezing every last drop out of the people working for them for the money that they gave them. Yeah, absolutely. Make it so, sir. Do it. So, in terms of overall impressions, I think one thing we noticed and that's been remarked about, I'm sure, many, many times, many times is yeah. that season two is much more character based than mm-hmm. season one. Season one, it seems like um, it follows a very traditional alien of the week, monster of the week kind of format where they go to a planet or they encounter a species, they have to solve a problem, and then they, you know, have go a little, way, yeah. yeah, a little yeah. quip on the bridge before they yeah. fly off into the star set. And, and there's still elements of that structure that that match in this one, but the the diversity of situations they wind up mm-hmm. in is is much greater. There's 
there's there's far fewer of the godlike episodes, which I complained about a lot last you episode. Did. Uh, there's it's it's much more the the cast of villains is more diverse. They're more entertaining, I would say, because mm-hmm. they're not just an omnipotent force from on high. Yeah. It's really like you get a little bit of the taste for them. It's a, it's a little more balance of terror where you're half the episodes yeah. you're getting in the Romulans' faces. Uh, these ones have much more of that. And even the, just the characters that they do come across are more interesting generally. So um, it's it's a, it's a welcome change in my mind. Uh, it's part of what makes me, all my favorite episodes, with a few exceptions from season one, are in season two. Yeah. Um, and I'm especially fond this will be the first instance of many of me saying i love the low stakes star trek oh, episodes <laughs> who doesn't like honestly it doesn't always have to be like we're yeah. encountering the romulans yeah. with the borg or, or, or you punching, know yeah it, like give me hotel royale totally. and you know give me a little mystery of the week and give me the episode mysteries you know even that one <laughs> accelerates a little too high yeah. for me but you know like give me those low stakes ones uh where the characters are not they're just given room to breathe and they can do something beyond, you know, stave off the elimination. Well, of the but that's, race, that's right? where the character comes in, right? Yeah. Where you get to see um, the personal interactions between characters um, or how they react to a situation that, you know, you get to think about how you might react to that situation, but it's not so out of the realm of possibility, yes. you know, that it involves, you know, a... a cat and mouse game in a nebula or yeah, something yeah, like that yeah, right yeah, it's yeah. it's like a mock time right yeah, where yeah. it's just you're really horny and <laughs> you know are your you gonna fuck there, your best yeah. friend or no <laughs> like i think we can all relate to that right of course of course <laughs> who hasn't been there um there's also a lot of earth parallel stories in yes, this season this season um not fun. as many and not as ridiculous as it gets in season three season three has fewer like direct parallel or, like these ones, like when they find the fucking Declaration of Independence, yeah. is that Dear season God, two? That season, that's in one of these episodes. It oh, is. I thought that was season three. Oh, it's bad. But uh, there is like, uh, there's a lot more of those direct ones. Mm-hmm. Season three has a lot more parallels, but not Earth direct Earth. Like there's a lot right. of like racism, and then you have the guy black and white, like black face, half white. That's face. season like, three. That's, that's season three. That's- that's pretty heavy-handed. That, that's the heavy-handed stuff, um, which is, again, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, yeah. but it's not um, where they land on a planet yeah. and everyone's wearing Nazi uniforms or they're yeah. in this Roman games, you know? Yeah, it's, you're right. it's a little different. So, um, and a, a lot of these ones were kind of overseen by Roddenberry, the the, the uh, backstory. Or there's a quote I got from someone uh, when I think they were talking about it was originally from TNG actually but um, it's that Roddenberry could take a bad script and make it a good one mm-hmm. and he could take a great script and make it a good one so he, <laughs> he, it, was he always good at making good scripts yeah he was good at making good scripts he could really get it down to the mean and uh, his influence on a lot of these kind of like more didactic like oh here's this exact parallel to earth mm-hmm. isn't that convenient let's talk about what that means Roddenberry's hands was, uh, were often in those kind of ones yeah. uh, even if he didn't get direct writing credit in a lot of them uh, uh, he kind of kind of influenced and pushed it that way. So um, there's there are a few of them this season that we'll yeah. talk about, um, which are they're interesting. Some of them I think are better than others, but the fact that there's so many of them is worth mentioning here. Tell him he is a pretty cat and a good cat. I will feed him. Perhaps that will be enough. So what's the first episode that you want to highlight from season two that you think is either good, bad, or you're, you have something interesting to say oh, about it? Oh, well, we have to start at the beginning because season two starts with one of the most epic, iconic episodes of all time, of course, yeah. Amok Time, yeah. um, which is just interesting for so many things. It expands Spock's character uh, enormously. Uh, yeah. The the ethos and the, the... Not the ethos. The, no, the ethos. The canon the, of yeah. Vulcans is what I was going for. Like, the whole world yep. of Star Trek gets really expanded. You know, they have a mating ritual and they mm-hmm. have sex and they have... We see his planet. We see yeah. the, the religious ceremony that goes into this um, this ritual, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the first time that we see um, one of our protagonists backstories being explored yeah. in such a way yeah. um we might have had reference in season one to kirk's brother yes i believe that was but, done in season um, one. Yeah. Yeah. but nothing like this where it's like the focus of the whole episode is on this biological urge that yeah. spock every seven years vulcans ha- go through what's Pond called the Pond fire yeah. 
that they well i mean if you're a star trek fan you know what the <laughs> you know, yeah. is. but if you're not um it's like you you need to mate you need to uh do this or you go crazy basically yeah, and yeah. and it's lethal if you don't yeah. like do anything about it yeah. um so this is kind of a a funny not a funny but it's an interesting moment where um like Kirk and Spock, Kirk being Spock's best friend and McCoy not really knowing anything about Vulcans, which I think is hilarious. They've been allied with the Federation for, or part of the Federation, just allied more with evidence. for 250 years. They know nothing about them. Yeah, he's just not, <laughs> not, he's not reading the latest journals. Let's put it that way. But um, they don't know, any, they don't know about this, this ritual and they have to help him through it. And yeah. so um, it comes out in the end that he either has to mate with the person that he's been betrothed to or... He has to fight someone that she chooses to be her, I guess, defender, stand in defender yes, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, so you got to fight or fuck. And <laughs> in the end, he ends up fighting Kirk, which is, you know, there's so many interesting things that come out of it. When we get to our fan fiction episode, we're definitely going to be talking about this episode specifically yeah. and the Spock slash Kirk. Um, the original couple. Yes, the original yes. OTP, OTP of, <laughs> yes, of the fan fiction world. Really what all of fan fiction is based on is this one episode. Because there is there's a there's an emotional resonance because of course Spock doesn't kill Kirk. Mm-hmm. Uh, McCoy is basically poisoned Kirk to make him appear yes. as though he's he's dead. Um, and then there's that famous scene where he grabs Kirk at the yeah. end of the episode and he's like, Jim and I'm he's so smiling. happy that you're alive, but I'm not. I have yeah. to be serious. I have yeah, no I'm, emotions. I'm Vulcan again. Yeah. But it, there's that momentary glimpse yeah. and that is inspired so many <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so much creation and so much. Well, because fan it's it's so true and it's really sad that, you know, when we talk about toxic masculinity, this is what we mean, that yeah. it's not common for men to touch each other in unless a friendly way unless they're fighting <laughs> yeah. or fucking. And and it's just I guess it is really nice to see two men just be be bros, you know? They're gonna they're friends. They're they they care about each other very deeply. Spock yeah. But even Spock has to repress it, I mean. Well totally, like, <laughs> but I mean Kirk was willing to die for him, right? Yeah, or was yeah. willing to go through the the motions of that just yeah. to So I mean it it's it expands the lore, the Vulcan, you know, we get the, the, this is the first time we see the Live Long and Prosper. Um, was that sign. this episode? Yes. I thought it was later no. when Sarek shows up. No, it's this one. Okay. And uh, the first time we hear Live Long and Prosper. Yeah. Um, that was all introduced in this episode. Yeah. So, I mean, um, it does expand the lore, but it also expands that character building aspect that season two does so well. Yeah. Double! <laughs> that is double, isn't it? <laughs> Another one that I think is actually a good combination of your your didactic, um, you know, pontificate from on high and your character moments is another famous, famous episode, Mirror, Mirror. Mm, yes. um, the first Mirror Universe episode and the one that sets them all, the rest of them in motion. Can we, Although, can we talk about the Mirror Universe a little bit here? Sure. Yeah, let's yeah. do that. Well, like, what is the Mirror Universe? Mirror Universe is another universe. <laughs> where everybody's bad everything is literally the opposite it is a it is a dark mirror it is black mirror before black mirror existed <laughs> it is literally just everybody's bad and often there is a character from our universe thrown in or multiple thrown into the dark universe yeah. and they they have to survive and get back home somehow and it's well and it's in, always in this troubling. episode it's it's a complete switch it's yeah four um, characters yes swap universes yeah it's kirk uhura scotty and bones Yes, I think and, so. bones, yeah. and they swap places, and yeah. and each side has is slowly figuring out that the people they think are there are not really there. So of yeah. course, Kirk, this you know magnanimous, uh, you know great logical captain, is uh, thrown into a position where corporal punishment is being used yeah. on Chekhov, right? Yeah. And and it's he doesn't understand it, but he has to kind of play along. So there's there's some psychological torment I think that goes into this when you you know. It's fun to explore that or fun yeah. to think about that. If you like your wump, you're meeting <laughs> up your main characters. Yeah. Um, but it, it does also, like, give... It's fun. It's just crazy fun to see these characters play totally evil yeah. versions of like themselves. like evil Spock is yeah. so evil and he's so good at it. Evil Sulu, though, is the <laughs> yeah. best. Like, evil Sulu is just, just so joyful takes about it. no prisoners. Yeah, yeah. And, like, hitting on Uhura on the, oh, ba- yeah. on the bridge and stuff. Like, just, just an evil guy. Yeah. Love him. Love him to bits. It's, it's perfect. Um, and this gets... I mean, there's a reason uh, they return to this universe so often. I believe, actually, sorry, 
chronologically the Enterprise crew uh, does go earlier to the Mirror Universe. But we haven't watched those episodes yet. We've not uh, delved all the way to the Enterprise. So uh, yes. we will we will get there eventually. Yes. Um, but yeah, DS9 obviously revisits this many times and it's just it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's it's a great episode. Um, one of my fr- favorites growing up for sure. Mm-hmm. There's also some really honestly stupid fun episodes. Yes, yeah, like, these are the ones I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. like I Mud. Yeah, uh, the Trouble with Tribbles, which is just like an epic fun. Which I guess was an episode George Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry hated. He did not like comedy. Who's George Roddenberry. George Roddenberry is the man you created. In your <laughs> Mirror head. Universe. Yes, exactly. He loved comedy. <laughs> he loved what are you it. talking about? Gene Roddenberry hated it. Though. <laughs> he did. Um, <laughs> he, he famously said like he didn't want Star Trek to be silly because he didn't want Lost in Space. Yeah. Um, and Triple episode totally silly. Totally silly. But again, that's really an engaging episode just because it is so low stakes and the villain is, are these little guys who eat everything like but they're also like adorable and and anti-klingon <laughs> like the klingons hate these little like hamster ball <sighs> things that purr it's like how can you hate these things but because there's a there's a history yep. there that yep. you just you don't get no it's not delved into you don't know about the don't triple klingon to. war nope. no you just have to know that they reproduce like crazy and then there's that famous scene at the end where they're all in the bulkhead and they yeah, fall they down on Kirk and yeah. it's hilarious um a piece of the action another one of those yeah, earth oh, parallel ones where it's like they've yeah. been transported back to 1920 Chicago yeah. so you've got you know the bridge crew in zoot suits yeah. I fucking love it it's, it's just so, so crazy and like Tommy guns and stuff yeah. it's just like again it's these super silly ones mm-hmm. um are just a, a, a nice change of pace yeah I don't think anybody wants to get rid of serious Trek at all. No. Um, but when you have the opportunity to just have a little fun with it. Yeah. Uh, Strength and Worlds did it this yeah. season when they had the whole, like, uh, the crew is off recovering and Spock swaps bodies with his wife. Or the like. the one where they go into the fairy, the fairy tale. Yeah, book, yeah, yeah, yeah. His yeah. daughter's favorite book, yeah, right? Yeah, these, these lower stakes ones are just yeah. great fun. And they set the scene here. And th- that's what was absent in, in season one. And that's part of why I found it really hard to Well, or when, when it was there, like we did meet Harry Mudd in yes. season one. And yes. that episode where he's, you know, with the mail order brides. Yeah, but he, he's... It was still played pretty seriously. Like he yes. was a comedic character. Yes. This one is is much sillier. Yeah. In like, Imad, he's got what's this? What's the setup? He's he's on his he's on a prison planet or he's he's on a mining planet or yeah, something. And, and he's, he's created, created all the all drones, these, yeah, like robots to uh, serve him. Yeah. And then which is totally a Harry Mudd thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, they punish him by bringing him his up actual his wife. wife. Yeah. which is great yeah. which is but hilarious. misogyny yeah of course it's a super misogynist episode of course but uh, it is there um yeah it's it's just fun and silly. yeah again low 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 stakes but too totally entertaining yeah right yep uh less fun and far more serious are those alternate earth ones that we mm-hmm. we talked about there's um a piece of the action obviously the 1920s 30s gangsters yeah um there's patterns of force which is the nazi one where the uh, a famous earth scientist went to a struggling civilization and in order to reform them he turned them into nazis yeah. which is just the stupidest one but it basically becomes you know spock and kirk have to dress in nazi uniforms to infiltrate the nazis and yeah it's weird you know expose the nazis for bad would not people. be made would not be made today no no lots of problems with that one yeah. um then there's the omega glory which is uh, the most obtuse one that's literally where they find the declaration of independence there's the yangs and the kongs yeah and it's the yankees and the communists and they've been at war forever and they've degraded technology technologically yeah. down to like basic things and there's a virus and stuff going on at the same time and they have to figure out how to stay alive um but then kirk wraps it all up by finding the declaration of independence and saying you guys should really follow this document it's great it's the least a little didact a little too didact yeah that one that one's a little too strong for me um and then finally had bread and circus which is the uh the roman empire basically just continued to like modern like 20th century technology so they yeah. have cameras and they put on games they televise the the gladiatorial games and stuff like that it's kind of a yeah it's literally just what would happen if the roman empire continued to this day and it's it it lacks any sort of like like the parallel parallel earth stories are they have their place and i think that there there's a way to have them be done really well and and cleverly like i have a feeling the omega glory could have been uh, a good episode if it had been a little subtler, if yeah. it hadn't been as over the top. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's it's 
I don't know what the point is sometimes yeah. about doing a parallel earth episode yeah. when, when, especially when it's so American centric and I get it. Like, you know, this is it's Hollywood. Show, it's an American yeah. show. Um, In the sixties with American most, audience only. And, and yeah. most people are at least passingly familiar with American history. Yeah. Um, so it's not the worst thing. In the world. It's not like they're, they're, you know, putting this in, you know, the grits and Tories in 1871, <laughs> or the murder of Thomas Darcy McGee in Ottawa or something. <laughs> Nobody knows what the hell is going no, on except yeah. for Canadians. He watched the heritage minute. I don't think there was a heritage minute. No, I don't think so. Cause I never McGee. remember it. You always tell me, but I'm like, what? there was a murder in cabinet once or whatever it was. I don't even remember it. Well, it was on the street after a late night cat. He was drunk. I think, or, okay. you know, but the, the point, <laughs> the point stands. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, they're a little heavy handed. And, and, and I just don't see what the point is. Yeah. Like, what, well, what would be the point as a writer, Aiden, to, yeah. to take a story that you want to tell and put it in, in something that is so I, I, obviously I feel parallel like, for the world your audience is living in. I feel like it's 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 almost like the 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 appeal of Assassin's Creed. It's historical tourism. It's okay. like, oh, here's the characters I know. They're going to a place where uh, the communists won the the Cold War, but yeah. only after the world was destroyed. Here's here's our characters going like an to Rome. History, but yeah, but not quite exactly. Yeah. yeah, it is literally. It's 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 a it's an alternate history slash alternate future mm-hmm. kind of situation, um, and that 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 can be fun, but it doesn't like. And some of those like uh, piece of the action is is a lot of fun because yeah. it does allow you to go to these things where these characters are fish out of water, but. It's far less interesting in the Omega Glory when they're just trying to survive and they're trying to understand what's going on and there's everything's wrapped up in a neat little package. Or Patterns of Force where you're 20 years out of yeah. like... Nazi Germany yeah, being real. Yeah, the Holocaust. Literally there yeah. are people who are watching your show who yeah. may have survived that. And, yeah. and you're... Well, and Leonard Nimoy is Jewish. And you put yeah. him, make him put on Nazi I, Yeah, like I just... I Not yeah. that I... I it's... <laughs> This, it sounds like we're complaining about it because it's it's woke or something. And that's not at all what we're saying. No, it's just not it, interesting. It's just not. And I think <laughs> it's lazy, too. I yeah. think there's there's yeah. um, a, a point where a writer... Like, you, yes, we want to use shorthand and, and, like, metonymically reference things without, you know, going into huge backstories. And putting a character in a Nazi uniform does that very, very well. Yeah. But it, it also, it becomes a crutch that you lean yeah. on. And I think this season, you're right, it does do that a little bit too much where well, it's like you're not building the backstory enough and you're just relying on your audience to fill in well, yeah, and, and the stuff you don't want to write. Well, exactly. And that, yeah, and that the problem there is that it doesn't illuminate anything. And yeah. I feel like, but it's interesting that this season has an episode that does do that almost the exact same way, but it does it in a typical sci-fi way by building a parallel, mm-hmm. which is a private little war. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the one where the Klingons and the humans are uh, basically trying to uh, get this planet that has, I think dilithium crystals or something on okay. it. Um, and so the Klingons are in there earlier uh, and they're, they basically started arming the population to right. fight against the Federation. And the, Kirk goes down there and he's like, well, we've got to start arming them, arming them back so that they can fight back. Yeah. And it is literally just North and South Korea. It's right. literally the Cold War. And it, 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 but it works because it is, it is not, they're literally not saying, oh, well, the North Vietnamese should be doing this and the South Vietnamese should be doing, like, it, that's not. These are the Yang. Yeah, These it, are the cons. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it is not that. It is, it has the subtlety at least to be able to say, like, here's a situation similar to what we're facing here yeah. on Earth. Um, but it does have these sci-fi elements. And, but the, the moral questions it raises are the same. The, the, the other yes. ones do not raise any moral questions. No. They're just like. They're Monster of the Week episodes. Yeah. They're yeah. Where the monsters episodes. are human civilizations that you But there's not really any last impact on the characters no uh, like the enterprise our main characters there's no lasting impact on the federation yeah. really um where yeah you're right private little war has you get the feeling that there could be consequences that yeah. could ripple out for well, the entire federation and, it and makes, yeah it makes the characters motivations and choices have meaning too because yeah. you're like okay well is like because kirk is very much played as like the practical kind of hawk character where he's mm-hmm. like yeah well we have to arm them because mm-hmm. otherwise this civilization is going to fall apart and it's going to be the klingons who take over and bones is there saying like well no like if we do this we're the exact same yeah. as as the klingons and no nobody's going to be yeah. nobody's going to come out of this well they could destroy the whole planet right well and it doesn't hit you over the head with the fact that it's it's a parallel yeah it does I mean, it it does it's it it's not in, subtle about it's not it subtle either. but it's more subtle than yeah. than 
Yeah, and that's why that you know, it's the episode's Pattern much more fun to watch, absolutely, than than you know patterns. And of it, and it fits with the mythos and legends and lore that has already been built up around the Federation, around yeah. the Klingons. It feels like these situations also have grown organically around a situation that, or around a, a storyline that the writers have created, mm-hmm. and it just happens to mirror what is going on on Earth. Yeah, that feels a lot more. Yeah, it's like when it's like when by the time then they develop on this, obviously, by the time you get to Bajor and the Cardassians, you know, it's any sort of colonized people overthrowing their colonizers and, you know, dealing with the long term effects of that, whether that's, you know, Ireland or or any sort of African, Indian, Asian, Israel, Palestine. Yeah, well, Israel, Palestine is the most uh, one, the most present for us today. But, you know, any of those kind of uh, uprisings. it, it's much more subtle and it really dives into what are the outcomes of these kind of yeah. things. How do you, uh, how do you live past that? Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. And what are the impacts? But on in the a people? natural way that evolves out of a Bajoran culture and yeah. a Cardassian culture, it's yeah. not, it's, it's not as uh, the episode that I'm thinking of in TNG where it's very much Irish unification. <laughs> yeah. Like that yeah. whole thing yeah. where it, it does feel like you're talking about one specific yeah. Thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Although when I first watched that one, I thought it was Israel-Palestine too. But I see things <laughs> through a lens, I apparently. Apparently. So. And that's actually a pretty good segue to uh, today's ad uh, sponsor for the, the podcast. Yeah. Um, how, how many of you, Aiden, when was the last time you wanted to visit a planet that, you know, was also going through something your planet was going through? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> All the I time. Guess. I could right? just go there now, but I, wa- <laughs> I want to go to a different one. Absolutely, Lindsay. Well, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Mud's Emporium. Um, if you've been in the market for an at-home housewood of your very own, but for whatever reason, it, it just hasn't happened yet, have we got news for you. Mud's Emporium, the Alpha Quadrant's premier discount retailer, is proud to announce their foray into holographic entertainment with the Hollow Heaven 3000. The wait is over, folks. Not only is the Hollow Heaven affordable, it's compact, able to fit in even the tiniest starship quarters. Like you've seen some of the ones that like the Ensigns have yeah, where it's yeah. like a hallway. Yeah. You could bring your Hollow Suite with you. And just sit and just, in the hallway. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's the other thing. It's efficient. It's capable for running for up to eight hours on a single charge, up to 24 hours with the safeties off. <laughs> so it's perfect for those late night calisthenic programs that you really need to, you know, cling on Batleth tournament or oh, whatever. Oh, is that what they call it now? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. But speaking of that, best of all, they're self-cleaning. Oh, God, That's right. God. No more cleaning jizz from the jizz filter. Cleaner comes with your choice of crisp laundry, fresh lemon, and the all-new Bajoran patchouli and lavender scent. It's also available in Enterprise Grage, Andorian Ice, Vulcan Sunrise, and Rose Gold colors. So it's guaranteed to fit your aesthetic, no matter what that aesthetic happens to be. So go on down to your nearest Replum Mall. Check them out today. Muds Emporium. Thank you so much for sponsoring this episode. Um, let's get back to it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, uh, Lindsay and Muds Emporium. Uh, always, always appreciated. Um, so if you didn't want to go to a nice place, you could also go to, <laughs> to, a, terrible to place. a terrible place, namely uh, an episode like the doomsday machine uh which was another yes. one of my favorite episodes growing up just really it had space battles and there were mm. you know there were phasers and things i like forget that you were a little boy I, yeah exactly i was i was six <laughs> so uh this is the kind of shit i loved um and it was it's really interesting because it, it again it's it's a highfalutin concept this machine that literally can't be stopped and two characters really Kirk and uh, the other guy, Commodore, I don't even remember what his name is, mm-hmm. um, you know, who's been broken and shattered because he lost his crew yeah. to this this doomsday machine, um, which is an iconic shape, too. I, sorry, I just got to say, like, the little cone of, of stone with a little, you know, laser show in the front, that's, like... Y- they can't do that these days. You you threw that in a, in a Marvel thing. Say this is the bad guy. They'd be like, they laugh uh, you out of yeah, the theater. Yeah, you'd never get out of there. But in the sixties, it just fucking worked. So I love yep. it. Um, but yeah, it's it has these two parallel characters. You know, the broken captain and the one who's still functioning, and uh, <laughs> and then it winds up being the the broken one who shows how to how to defeat the, the machine by flying flying the the ship right into the maw mm-hmm. of the beast and and blowing yourself up right um and it's Deep yeah it's psychological profiling going on here it's a little bit like uh like that episode of tng with o'brien and his former commander yeah fought the cardassians together yeah. and now he's off on a revenge mission i yeah. mean um yeah, it shows the, the ugly size it's thing, very uh, moby dick yeah. absolutely yeah. but it does show the the psychological um scars that can happen 
to a starship captain. We don't see that because Kirk is Kirk and flawless. In has no. He doesn't have psychology. He flaws. Just, yeah, he can't. He can't be wounded. Not yet. Not mentally, yet. Mentally, yeah. And yeah. Uh, well. He needs his pain. We know that much. <laughs> That's but. true. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it's kind of the first time that we have to really address what space battles and Starfleet can actually cause because that's the other thing yeah. I don't know if we talked about it in the first episode but it's not clear that Starfleet is purely military purely exploratory yeah. they have elements of both yeah obviously no we did I, we did we, talk we about mentioned this. We it mentioned being both NASA and yeah, Force, yeah. yeah, but it it this leans more heavily on the this well, is a military, this is a naval, yeah. you know, situation, and and there are going to be psychological impacts from yeah. that. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, it's just a it's a it's a well paced episode too. I remember yeah. watching it again that I hadn't again watched probably since I was twelve or thirteen, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, this is a intense, fun, good episode. Yeah, it builds to the climax. It's kind of really comes, well. Not that it comes out of nowhere that the the broken captain yeah. has but it but it kind of yeah it, yeah. it redeems him in the yeah, end yeah which is it, nice. yeah yeah it works out so um another notable episode uh is metamorphosis yeah. so this is the first zephram cochran time we see zephram cochran, cochran the legendary first contact yeah first first warp, warp drive flight. guy yeah um not drunk in this one uh so no this is what's notable about it right yeah is that it's it's a totally different portrayal. They took the character in a totally different direction in First Contact. Yeah. Um, and I have to say for the better, this episode is mostly notable just for that. The rest of the episode is kind of silly because, like, there's got this, again, a godlike alien kind of controlling Zephram's life. And then he's the, crash landed on a planet. Or yeah. An in order to keep him alive, the, yeah. the alien can't let him leave or something like that. Yeah. And then at the end, I think she turns into a woman and they go off and get married or something. I yeah. It's it's really not a very memorable episode, except for the fact that, hey, there's this guy. It's the introduction of Zephram Cochran yeah. as lore as, you know, he invented warp drive. And then at the end of his life, he buggered off, except for in this thing, he's like 35 and, you know. In the movie, he's 60 already. <laughs> well, he was 30, but he looked 60. Yeah. Yes, Lindsay just finished reading all about the... Uh, the history of the, the history Federation. Of the Federation. This is what I do on, on when I have time off. I'm like, yeah, let's read fake history books. Yeah, yeah. It's what makes your ad so good. Um, then after that, we have another great episode, uh, Journey to, to Babel. Sorry, there are a lot of great episodes, like I yeah. said. I, 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 wrote put, I had like five episodes in the notes, and then Aiden's like, cracks oh, no. knuckles, yeah, let me yeah. add it, this... and adds like 15. I'm like, we're talking about every single episode. Pretty much. But they're all so good. I mean, you get Journey to Babel introduces Sarek, um, and you get basically what becomes their relationship for the rest of Star Trek. You know, it's very tense. He's disappointed in Spock, but proud of Spock at the same time. He has a typical father-son. Yeah, but also with this extra layer of, like, Vulcan non-emotion. Yeah, yeah, it's really kind of messed up. Yeah. Um, You also get Sarek's habit of becoming sick while traveling on the Enterprise. Happens a lot. Well, twice. You know, if it happened twice, or if I had dime for each time, I'd have two, which is weird that it happened twice kind of thing. Like, that's that's the situation. It's just they they use this uh, Mm -hmm. this plot device on him um but yeah it's it's a good introduction to Sarek and again deepens the Vulcan lore deepens Spock's character as everybody it seems like at this do. point they knew that Spock was the breakout character they had yeah, to have known I, I think and so. and he was getting the most fan mail and there was uh you know tons the of erotica being written yes and and, <laughs> and um so having him be the character that you're going to explore more makes perfect sense well and he's just an interesting character it's like data and next generation yeah. you have this emotionless character and then he has emotion that's something i want to uh, psychologically i want to unpack that why are women so attracted to the emotionless, emotionless man i'm sure tuvok in in voyager was also odo i i've met a lot of people recently Odo's, who Odo's were big not, on, Odo's no but he's, though. he's 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 stoic but he's inflexible yeah yeah, yeah. Well, he's very flexible i don't know but he's <laughs> if you know what i mean anyway yeah Another great one, The Ultimate Computer. Uh, yes. So this one introduced Richard Daystrom, who became, of course, the Daystrom Institute's uh, founder. He himself con- t- turned into the Institute. Yeah, he's like a transformer. He just... But yeah, and this one was... I love this episode because it's one of the few times in all of Trek that they actually talk about the the issues with automation, which is one of the most important uh technology sci-fi 
questions that every author has to deal with. We're still dealing with it today. And, well, and it's a real thing. Like yeah. it, it impacts people's lives all the time. You're, you get, your job gets outsourced to a computer, you know, whether you're, you know, radiologists, you know, are getting yeah. outsourced because computers can identify or, cancer and x-rays and stuff better you know, than humans. We like, hear about certain uh, electric cars that on the uh, AI driven mode will lock you inside when it catches on fire. So there's problems there's with problems AI. With yeah. Well, I like, mean, but, but seriously, like with the there's going to be, yes, yeah, right. there's going to be, you know, eventually probably all truck drivers are going to be out of a job because they're going to be able to automate uh you know semis and stuff so there's anxiety about it even back then when um computerizing assembly lines in detroit where you know that was probably on the minds of a lot of people yeah yeah robot workers and then yeah factories and stuff absolutely i mean and this is a problem i mean the the word luddite again yeah. Uh, it comes from, uh, you know, people who didn't trust the, who wanted to destroy the factories that were building, taking all their, uh, their jobs from building or from weaving cloth and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they had the machines, the spinning jennies that could do it way more efficiently than home weavers. Yeah. Uh, and the people who didn't like that, uh, would, uh, be angry and they, they, so it's become a shorthand for not understanding technology, but it's yeah. actually a, it should be shorthand for for hating technology for ruining your economic livelihood sure and it is a it is a a prescient issue uh and that's what makes this episode so good to watch today but in in this episode it's not about ruining your economic uh future because yeah. economics yeah. and federation is a unique very different thing we'll talk yeah. about that in an, a whole episode on its own about that <laughs> yeah. one um but it does have uh psychological implications kirk can't deal with the fact that he might lose his position mm-hmm. and and his rank and he's a captain and what else is he going to do with his life and yeah. we forget that starfleet is really the place where all the like type a personalities yeah. in the federation end up yeah. so i mean when you tell a bunch of type a people that you have no purpose yeah that's gonna fuck them up a little bit yeah. we're swearing a lot in this episode we should that? because fuck them but uh, um, but the other thing that comes out of this is that um, this automation that Daystrom wants to include on ships is actually quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. And it's dangerous because it's not because it's a machine, but because it's a machine that's based on a human's mind. It's yeah. based on Daystrom's own thought processes. So it really underpins the whole problem of AI and automation, like human beings are creating these things. So all of our flaws, it's like those stories about um, uh, like facial recognition software that's racist because yeah. the people who programmed it are not that they're racist, but they, but they have, did not consider yeah, people who look different than them. right yeah. or or and then they program that into the computer and all of a sudden your AI program is racist. So yeah. this, you know, is very prescient. It's fifty years ago, yeah. and and the same problems are coming up today. We haven't accounted for that that human psychological impact, impact on the technology, on technology. They, they're, they're, they're developing. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what, that's what they're talking about here. And that's where Daystrom goes off. And obviously his, his thing isn't going to be implemented on every starship, but yeah. clearly because Daystrom does become an important figure, um, at least historically in the rest of, certainly in, in next generation, because the Daystrom Institute is where, um, all the best cyberneticists end up. And it's also where, um, in Picard, the, uh, What's her name? Well, Bruce Maddox is all, yeah, uh, is already there. associated with Daystrom, but yeah. uh, what's her face? Yeah. The Borg, new Borg lady. Yeah, the Borg queen. Yeah. Gerardi. Gerardi. Is, is at the Daystrom Institute. It's where all your top scientists on Earth go. Yeah. So he's he does have success, but yeah. not necessarily in this area. Well, and, and, and it's nice to see failure in the Federation. Yeah, absolutely. And and his character is interesting, too, on its own because for two things. A, that he is this kind of like typical scientist who's, yeah. who's not aware of his blind spots kind of narrow-minded and yeah yeah, yeah. like just very, open narrow-minded oh, techn- yeah exactly technology <laughs> is the solution to all problems yeah. and stuff um but also just for the casting it was he was played by william marshall who's a, a black man again mm-hmm. you know a black man is the smartest person yeah. in science in, in the federation Crazy. is like quite a statement in yeah so um and he's he plays it amazingly he does a really great job um, especially in, there's one part that's a little awkward because he was six foot five. I looked this up. He's a big really? guy. And then him and Fe- Shatner have a little wrestling match. Not much of one, but you know, Shatner has to like restrain him a couple of times. Shatner's not like, six foot five. <laughs> he's not going to be able to do that. <laughs> that is a fight Shatner's going to lose every time. Um, so that, that's a little awkward, but I, I, I think they, they 
even knowing that was in the script, they didn't care because this guy could just carry the every scene. Oh, yeah. He has a great voice and he's just. And the gravitas um, to portray. uh, Yeah. A man struggling with this. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, it's great. So and then finally, Lindsay, I'm throwing this one in. It's see you see low stakes doesn't get lower stakes than assignment (laughs) Earth. Which isn't even a Star Trek episode. It's a backdoor pilot for what would have been... I don't even remember the name of the show. Me neither. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, matter because it wasn't ever made. Yeah. Um, um, but it features a, a science or a spy from the future with little... Like something that does... Like a little tool that can alter things. It's a things sonic and, screwdriver. Just yeah, call it a sonic yeah, it screwdriver. It was a sonic screwdriver. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he, he matches up with the blonde... So she's going to be his uh, sidekick, just oh, like Doctor Who. It was Doctor Who. I'm just forgetting this. It really now. is, yeah. He also had a cat who was, yeah. uh, could also do things and uh, helped out, which was really Terry cute. Terry Gar is the, the girl. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's Sorry, I wasn't listening to a thing you were no, saying. No, I was trying I to get her name. That's amazing. I, I wasn't saying anything important anyways. Um, but yeah, this episode is the definition of silly. Uh, the Trek characters basically just get in the way because this guy is even better than any of Yeah, he's the like, he's, he's, it's like a Section 31 type thing where it's yeah. like they're a secret organization or they're the, travelers. They're yeah. like, they're, they're working behind the scenes to yeah. try and do things. And, yeah. and this would have been the first episode in another series yeah. that was going to be made. Feature never, these guys. Yeah. Never and, made. and then never it was just away. using the Star Trek characters and name to launch it off launch and it. it never happened. And again, I watched this as a kid and I thought it was fucking amazing. I'm like, <laughs> of course whoa, you did. This, is, this is my favorite Star Trek episode. It's not even a Star Trek episode. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was, that was, that was me as a child. Uh, I was that stupid. All right, Nanas, let's hear some chatter. Hey, hey better, 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 better. Death to the opposition. Pixlog, 4287.61. Whilst doing the dishes this evening, Lieutenant Lindsay declared that the, with the utmost casualness that City on the Edge of Forever was, in fact, an overrated episode. Much as she might deny it, I heard the words and she cannot call me a liar whatsoever. While obviously preposterous in the extreme, it did lead me to consider a more reasonable question of which type of Star Trek episode is superior? The didactic, message-heavy episodes like Measure, Measure of a Man or Private Little War, or the more character-heavy ones like City on the Edge of Forever or Tapestry? I suppose we will have to work it out one way or the other. So, Lindsay, which way do you feel is the better approach for Star Trek episodes? I... Oh, I really hate that you've made me go first on this. Well, I mean, you called City on the Edge of Forever bad, so I'm, I have Literally didn't. Literally yeah. didn't. This is where, you know, you're not even listening to me when we talk. <laughs> this is... this. You'll is, notice I lied in the log because I said it was while I was doing dishes and you were the one who did dishes today, so I was making it up. But uh, yeah, which one? Pick now, now, now. Do it, do it, do it. I think the character-driven episodes are where Star Trek is the strongest. And I'll tell you why. Because Star Trek at its best is one of the best ensemble TV series mm. ever. All of them. I think the the whole idea that, you know, if you go back to Roddenberry's original vision of having this diverse crew off on missions together in close quarters, working together to overcome whatever the problem was mm-hmm. this week, um, that's great, but it has more meaning when those characters have personalities and when they have um, thoughts and motivations and goals and everything like that which is the same thing as a motivation um but so when you get an episode like uh data's day or an episode um any one of the episodes that deals with the doctor and voyager you know coming to grips with his humanity or an episode like a mock time where it's just you know building up the background of those characters, especially when they have stakes that carry forward and that that's remembered later on. It's not just a throwaway line or something like that. It adds depth to those characters, which makes the future interactions on those away missions have much more gravitas and much more. Um, it 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 changes the stakes a little bit, and that's why I think the character-driven episodes they add the flavor that make the didactic episodes work well. You can't have Measure of a Man. Measure of a Man on its own is a great episode, but when you add it together with 
with Data creating his own daughter and Data standing in for Keiko's father on her wedding day and Data falling in love with Lieutenant DeSora, then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, they were going to turn him. He, he's not, he's obviously not a toaster, but you need those other episodes to make that, that episode work. Looking back on it, because obviously Measure Man is season two, but we're not talking about TNG. So I'll stop talking. Yeah. Um, you've Tell course, me how I'm wrong. Well, you fell into a classic blunder of accepting the premise of the question. Oh, of course, good they God. are the best when the two of them combine. I think, is that not kind <laughs> of what I just said? Kind of, but you didn't say it. So I'm saying <laughs> it now. I hate you. And I am right. And you know I'm right. It's all those good episodes. Yeah, like you Tapestry. Are. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is a high-minded thing. It's Q showing him what happens after death and giving you a chance to restore if your he life. He didn't let the Nausikins stab, stab you in the, you in the heart. Yeah. You end up a lieutenant junior grade in sciences science division. Up. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it it's those episodes that really tie together. And I have to say, most of the character-driven ones have some sort of larger sci-fi yes. element that that enables that character exploration. Even Measure of a Man, there are some great. Uh, data moments in there you know mm-hmm. he's, yes is that vanity and yeah. and you know he's talking about how he's intimate with tasha you know mm-hmm. these things are they do help illuminate the character so um it's absolutely the ones where uh there's there's some element of both um i'm trying to think of like a purely character one that i guess maybe the best one is probably uh oh i forget it i forget the name of the episode it's ds9 the one where jake is going through time forward and cisco just keeps popping back oh in. yeah the start of season four i think that's that's a the, brilliant episode one of the saddest episodes yeah um but the sci-fi conceit in there is pretty minimal it's there's um, i mean I, it, it sets everything in motion yeah. and it causes what happens but the the but, emotional underpinning is definitely what yeah, yeah yeah there's not much of the sci-fi element in that particular instance but um yeah so uh, i'll just take my victory fine whatever here. but i want it <laughs> i want it stated for the record that i do not think that sitting on the edge of forever is an overblown episode aiden's a lying liar who lies um yeah you married just me you know for the record oh for the record yeah for nobody the record. else knows that yeah nobody else knows that i married you no that i'm a liar well if they've been listening to the podcast yeah then they, they just time, know they know they i know can't you're at least names. full of shit <laughs> mr data you all right yes sir I'm attempting to fill a silent moment with non-relevant conversation. So that's it for this episode. Uh, thank you for joining us once again. We'd like to know if you have any qualms or uh, uh, tidbits that you disagree with or hardly agree with uh, any of our assessments. Maybe you really, really, really like the Earth Parallel episodes. And um, Yeah, we'd love to hear do. from that because yeah. I'd like to know why. Like, I seriously, like, there probably <laughs> are people who, who, you know, genuinely really enjoy those ones. And yeah. I, I would... Love to hear why, because, yeah, we kind of struggled to come up with a reason. Mm-hmm. So if you have something that comes to mind, let us know. Um, but, yeah, until then, or until the next episode, I should say, uh, we'll uh, see you next time. Live long and prosper. Live That's how we're ending the episodes, Aiden. Not That's with- how you're ending the episodes. Live long and prosper. That's what I, I just said that. You can find all our episodes on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast fix. We love to talk Star Trek with our fellow nerds, and would love to hear from you if you have thoughts or ideas about any of our discussions or the topics we've brought up. You can reach out to us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Beam us up, Scotty.